You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. We are glad that you're with us again today for Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. My name is Jacob Hawk, the host of this podcast and the Young Adults Minister here at the Preston Crest Church of Christ. We just finished a month-long series on dating and relationships. If you did not hear that series, I encourage you to go back and listen to those four episodes, the first two with Trey Morgan in Childress, Texas, and the last two with Wayne and Tammy Roberts in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. But today we are beginning a new series where I'm going to interview all of the different uh, staff members on the ministry team here at Preston Crest and let you hear about their passions and what they do and let you get to know them better as I've come to know them the past year. And I'm glad to have John Scott Davis with us today, our first staff member for this episode. John, we are glad that you're with us today. Well, thanks, Jacob. Man, I tell you what, it was really a chore to come across the hall over here to do this and, and put this together. But I am happy to be here. Happy to, happy to have made the walk over. It was a long Walk indeed. Uh, John Scott leads our worship, and if you've ever visited Preston Crest or watched our services online, you know that he is a very gifted worship leader. John, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, let's see. I've been married for 30 plus years. Let's see. Good grief. It's going to be 31 years this year to my wonderful, beautiful wife, Paula. Got two daughters, Delaney. And Presley and uh, Delaney is a speech pathologist in the Carrollton Farmers Branch School District. And Presley is finishing up her senior year at Dear Christian College in Abilene. Okay. <laughs> All right. And your wife also works for ACU. Is that correct? She does. She works at the ACU online uh, offices in Dallas. Actually, she's still working at home. But, uh, yeah, she credentials all of the professors uh, for the master's work and the doctoral work there at uh, ACU Online. It is incredible how education has changed. I'm in an online program right now through Liberty, and it's fascinating how they can do what they do. So we're going to talk today about worship and what worship is, obviously not uh a fully exhaustive study of worship today, but kind of getting into the heart of worship and how we can be more attentive in our worship uh, to God. But first question today, John Scott, when did you first develop an interest in leading worship? <laughs> well, that uh, without uh, taking too much time telling the story, it all started when I was about eight or 10 years old. Uh, I had uh, developed an interest in Elvis Presley, of all things. Uh, Elvis had just died, uh, you know, a year or two previous. And uh, 
we happened to be up in the panhandle of Texas, in Canyon, Texas specifically, and my mom and I were in a store, and I saw this uh, album, Elvis Golden Records, had the had a picture of Elvis and records hanging uh, behind him, and man, I just had to have that record. And I said, Mom, I've got to get that, got to get that record. Can you buy that for me? And she said, uh, well, I'll buy you that record if you promise me that in church you will sing the lead part. Up until that time, I'd tried to dabble in learning <laughs> tenor parts and bass parts and being an eight or ten year old boy, not really successful in singing bass. And uh, anyway, so but really um What's that just kind of started the ball rolling. And I at age 16, I was asked to to lead the worship to lead. Well, I was asked to lead singing in big church at our church in Austin. And our youth minister was going to be preaching one Sunday. And he said, hey, I want you. He said, instead of leading singing, I want you to lead us in worship. And boy, that really got me thinking. And that was that's what started me on the journey of leading worship. Interesting. So the youth minister called on you. So it was a youth day, I guess. No, he, he was preaching. Okay. But, you know, up until that time, I'd, you know, sung in the devos and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And he's a Supreme Court justice here in Texas. Now. Oh, Jeff Boyd was okay. my was my. Uh, youth OK, minister. so a couple of things there. First of all, you said right after Elvis had died. So I guess you're one of those who believes that he didn't make it. Well, you know, I'm not going to say uh <laughs> <laughs> I guess he'd be, what, about 100 guess, years old right now if he was still yeah. with us? <laughs> I've definitely got some thoughts on that, but we probably shouldn't go there. Okay. Today. And uh, Presley, is that why your daughter's named Presley? How about that? Is it How really? about that? No, okay. it's not. All right. It is a coincidence, though. Okay, so that's an interesting statement. He said, I don't want you to lead singing today, but I want you to uh, to lead worship. So the second question uses that terminology because I know you're passionate about that. What is your favorite thing about not necessarily leading singing, but leading worship? Well, it's got to be the faces that I see in the audience. And I, I tend to not look at my music a lot when I'm leading just because I want to engage with the, with the audience. And so faces, and I see enthusiasm, I see emotion, I see, transformation uh in uh the worshipers here at preston crest and and so you know i got to say that that's probably my favorite thing when i can see that people are truly worshiping then uh yeah that's my favorite thing and i love that ending note just kind of reverberating and bouncing around Mm -hmm. the the ceiling in that room over there across the street or during covid 19 Looking at people's eyes, I guess, with the uh, mask covering up the face. Yeah, that's about all you can see is eyes. Can you still see it in people's eyes? I can. I can. People are able to smile with their eyes, and I love that. Interesting. So when it's really heartfelt, you can notice even with a mask covering the mouth. Yep. So, um, you know, we ask this question in a lot of different ways, and there are many different answers for this next question, but... To John Scott Davis, what is, quote unquote, worship? Well, I'm going to I've adopted a phrase that uh, a very well-known preacher friend of mine once said. He said, when you realize who God really is and when you realize who you really are, what happens after that is worship. Hmm. 
That's in other fair. words, you can't help but worship God when you realize how incredibly huge he is and how infinitely small we are. You got you can't help but worship him. So worship is not something that is confined to a hour long period then, because we need to be thinking that every day, all throughout the day. Absolutely. Okay. I like that. When you recognize who God is and when you understand who you are, what follows from there uh, is worship. Very good words. So what makes then for a quote unquote good worship service? (laughs) Well, when the mics don't fail (laughs) and when the uh, when the slides go right or computers don't uh, flip out on you. I would say that that is a well-executed assembly, but you bring that word worship in. And I'm not sure that we can be a judge of what a good worship service is, but I will say that if you feel lighter, if you feel changed, and if you leave with a song or a word of conviction in your heart, I think you've spent some good time in worship. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm thinking back over different episodes of my life, experiences in my life. Um, I remember when I was in the youth group growing up and we would go on summer mission trips. Uh, one thing we would always do, I guess maybe part of the reason was to kill some of the time during the day, but we would always find a local nursing home and we would go sing oh, yeah. to the residents there. And we would sing for you know an hour and a half. And um, a lot of these residents knew by heart the songs we were singing they couldn't see the words on the page um but watching their expressions when we would sing and i'm sure we weren't the best sounding singers and they probably weren't the best singers either but i still remember those moments well and your enthusiasm your um the fact that it's a bunch of young kids coming out and exposing just uh, their hearts to Mm -hmm. these these uh older individuals that is drawing them into worship. I promise you Mm -hmm. it was because not only in the moment, but they're hearkening back to when they were younger. Right. And uh, so heartfelt worship that's off pitch is better than perfect pitch worship without the heart is what you're saying. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I would think God would agree with that assessment as well. Okay. So on the singing part of it, obviously, well, before we get there, this isn't on the on the list, but <clears throat> we'll go a little bit rogue, but you're prepared sure. for this because you do this every week. How do you define the difference between leading singing and leading, leading worship? Because you do a lot more during our worship hour than just lead the songs. So talk with me a minute about that. That is really kind of an intangible uh, thing. Um, I t- and I gotta, I gotta think, I gotta think through that. And I've, I've always thought that as a leader, you can't lead, you can't lead people into the presence of God without knowing where you're going. Mm-hmm. And so, someone can stand up there and lead singing and and execute a song, perfect, but has no heart. Mm-hmm. Or, or has no emotion behind that and has no intent upon um, 
helping others see and feel the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the difference between entertainment and worship, I guess. But uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta know where you're going when you uh, when you're leading. Great answer. Um, why is singing such a foundational part of Christian worship and life? Now, I'm a preacher, and I will be the first to say that uh, singing, I think, is in its own category, separate and apart from preaching and meditation and fasting, giving all the other spiritual disciplines. Why is singing such a big deal to God and such a significant part of the church? Well, I got to... In answer to that, I gotta I gotta start with Ephesians five, man. Okay. I gotta you know that whole chapter is just dealing with uh, living uh, with a heart for Jesus, living in the light. Uh, in fact, it starts out that chapter: imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. And then, of course, a verse that that we are very familiar with uh, later on in that chapter, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And that's that's living the life in the spirit. And it Mm -hmm. seems to me that that's not so much of a set of rules for a worship service, but how we are to just live life. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, when people are singing or whistling, you know, they're having a good day. Mm-hmm. And that is infectious. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to think that the grace and the mercy of, and, and love of our Lord needs to be infectious as mm-hmm. well. Appreciate you bringing up Ephesians uh, 5, the passage there about singing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, because all three of those categories, the psalm, the hymn, and the spiritual song, they all contain words. And that's kind of what separates human beings from the birds who can sing and other creatures that can make some type of noise. They don't have words. You know, ours is very much of a cognitive expression in addition to the physical act of singing, um, a special way very special way to honor God. So when uh, when churches struggle, for lack of a better term, <laughs> when they struggle to have upbeat singing and meaningful quote-unquote worship, back to that definition you gave, I love that, of realizing who God is and who they are. When they struggle to have upbeat singing and meaningful worship, why is that? Well, I'm thinking you need to have someone that is a confident leader. Back to, you got to know where you're going if you're leading people. Uh, You can't lead people before the throne if you've never been there before. And meaningful worship doesn't always have to be upbeat Mm -hmm. or singing a song fast. Uh, Sometimes slowing a song down in order to emphasize the lyrics that you were just talking about, that can be quite powerful. In fact, for example, the last verse of it is well with my soul. uh, If you slow that down just to emphasize the lyrics, that 
is just a, a powerful thing mm-hmm. and that works mm-hmm. and I don't care who you are. That just works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if a congregation is dragging, I got to say that that's on the leader. Mm-hmm. The congregation is going to drag only if the leader lets it drag. That's a great answer. And I love how you're distinguishing that there's a difference between tempo and passion. Um, I love worshiping um, with African-American churches do that often. We sing the same songs. Uh, African-Americans have a tendency to sing the song slower than predominantly white churches, but no one's going to say, man, they're singing it passionless. And you can't say they're singing it wrong. No, no, no. Uh, but but they are led. Uh, well, that that didn't sound right. I, I just got to say there's there is a definite emotion mm. in uh, beautiful experience. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. beautiful experience. Um, and yes, if, if you don't attend Pressing Crest or you haven't watched us online, John Scott does do a wonderful job of changing up the tempo and some songs I think are better sung at a slower pace than the original writer wrote them to be sung. Yeah. Um, well, it just draws out the meaning. Yeah. It, <laughs> I, it's funny. I, um, eight o'clock or our eight thirty service. Uh, the uh, my voice is usually about a step or two lower. Mm-hmm. So not only tempo, but uh, in pitch as well. Uh, I'll start a song that's probably lower than it needs to be. And so maybe on the second or third verse, I'll kick it up a, mm-hmm. a step, a half a step. People think that's kind of cool and it kind of mo- it's not my <laughs> intent for it to be cool, but it, it actually brings about a. Uh, uh, a nice result because that adds enthusiasm to it. But I'm just trying to get the song back up on pitch. And mm-hmm. anyway, people react, they respond and react well when I do that. Now you are also a, I guess, I don't know the right term, but professionally trained singer. Yes. I studied voice and uh, was, was coached for five years out at Abilene. By uh, Elvis? Yeah. Yeah, no, not by Elvis. Okay. Uh, my, my vocal coach. She just died last year, Jeanette Lipford. Okay, the, just one of the one of the best vocal coaches I I know of. Certainly in in Abilene, but uh, uh, among our brotherhood, there are many who know the name of Jeanette Lipford. And uh, yeah, I studied with her for five years, and and she taught me to sing and to sing well and to protect my voice. Mm-hmm. It is very important to to not uh, overextend yourself. Right. And so, uh, yeah. And you sing at many weddings and funerals. I do. But you would probably be quick to admit that one does not have to be a professionally trained singer to be an effective worship leader. That is a correct statement. I would say it's more important to be a good worshiper. Mm Mm-hmm. Than to be a good singer. Now, uh, then you, if, if you sing in such a way that it detracts or distracts from the worship assembly, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. If you're taken away from the intended uh, end result in your worship service, then that's a problem. But uh, yeah, I think you need to be a good worshiper first. Right. So the reason I ask that is kind of going into this next question. Um, We've all been in churches that struggled with their strong, with their song service 
And it's even more noticeable after being at a church that has a really good song service. So if a church made it their goal that we really want to improve our singing, improve our period of singing, our worshipful attitude in singing, um, what are some practical things they could do to that end? Well, uh, a game changer for us was when we, this was probably back, oh, nine, ten years ago, when we added mic'd singers. Call it acapella support. Some people call it a worship team or a praise team. It is acapella support here. And though these uh, these singers help to fill in the parts. Mm-hmm. Uh some of our best worship songs have got five and even six parts, and and we just don't do them justice. And so these singers help our members hear their parts and learn them. And uh, on the flip side, I would suggest um, if you're not doing some things well, don't do them. Um <laughs> Don't do a bunch of things that you don't do well. If you want to introduce a new worship song, maybe just do one at a time. Mm-hmm. Maybe learn one over a month. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I mean, don't wear your church out with five new songs on a Sunday and that nobody knows and nobody's participating in. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, years ago, getting back to your original question, something that an, another thing that helped us, we dedicated Sunday nights or some Sunday nights to just learning new worship music. Back in the time we didn't have mic'd singers, but there was a lot of recordings out. We used some of Ken Young's or Zoe Group or some other things that Jeff Nelson uh, produced uh, acapella recordings of some of the newer worship music. And we used those to learn church-wide as a church body, taking everybody together to learn these new new uh, new tunes. So a lot of that is planning, and I know you work very hard every week getting worship planned for Sunday, and uh, you walk down front on Sunday morning, there's eight or nine different microphones sitting out, and it's been in uh, you know, the computer stack ready to be displayed on the screen. And particularly when churches have worship teams, they communicate throughout the week with each other about the songs and practicing those songs. So how much should worship be planned versus uh, spontaneous? <laughs> well, that's a great question. It, um, my opinion, it takes a lot of planning and organization to to build a service that seems and feels organic and spontaneous, even though it's not. Mm-hmm. If someone is leading a prayer, we don't announce it. We don't say, Brother Bill will now lead us in prayer. We make sure Brother Bill knows when and when he is to be moving into position and, and where he needs to be. And uh, Prentice Metter, years years ago, Prentice Metter and I spent years here at PC at Preston Crest building assemblies that were designed to be seamless and without distraction. The only distraction we wanted was was the Lord. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to build our worship service that equipped people to experience God, not just here in these assemblies, but also during the week. You, uh, you see if people have been worshiping all week or even having just little moments of worship during their week, Imagine what that's like when we all get together 
and how encouraging that can be. Those are beautiful words. And you're exactly right. For something to come off across as smooth and unplanned takes a tremendous amount of planning. Uh, in the preaching world, the hardest thing to do is when someone says, hey, we want you to give a Devo, but just speak for about five or six minutes. To offer something of quality in five or six minutes is a lot harder than to oh, yeah. preach a 25-minute sermon. But people don't understand that. Like, well, I'm just going to talk for five or six minutes, and then they end up talking 20 because the time goes so fast when you're speaking. Um, and just simple things like you're talking about improving the flow of worship, no downtime where prayer leaders know that their assigned spot is coming. They're toward the front of the auditorium. They're up to the mic as soon as that song ends and there's no dead time. I mean, that takes a lot of planning. Yeah. And I, again, we just we worked a lot uh, on uh, kind of building that in that that we're not going to. We're not going to stop down and interrupt the flow to announce somebody's name is now going to be coming forward to do that. But, you know, that's but that's my heritage. That's where I came from was. Was, uh, well, you know, such such and such is going to uh, to be mm-hmm. doing this. And then later on, we'll have uh, um, brother so and so lead the, the communion thought or something. And uh, Apprentice just kind of helped usher in at least here a new way of thinking that uh yeah it needs to be more about god mm-hmm. uh than than us mm-hmm. so what is one thing that you wish churches knew about being a worship leader that they don't always realize well i got to say there's a there's a, a phrase or or a term that i learned maybe 20 years ago, and that is heart language. The term heart language, uh, if you're in any leadership position at a church, you have to understand that there are many different heart languages at each church, meaning what speaks to one person, what touches one person may not may not reach another. And so to me, worshiping and leading worship is personal. It's emotional. And so it kind of hurts when we get criticism. But in the same instance, that also tells me that I didn't do a good job in considering the flock and uh, and all of the heart language. You don't ever get criticism, do you, John Scott? Just about every week. <laughs> Certainly not in church every... work. Yeah. <laughs> So, oh, yeah, uh, I, I got ripped real good, uh, made me cry one Sunday night. And, I, yeah, it's, but, yeah, but we were we were learning a song that was a little bit too jazzy for this one uh, individual. And, man, I got ripped. Yeah. So that was not pleasant. <laughs> Bless your heart. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I think Preston Crest overwhelmingly appreciates the phenomenal job that you do uh, each week. But looking back on it, when you started, uh, how long have you been at Preston Crest now? You said close to 30? Yeah, right? my wife and I came here right after we uh, were married. So we're, we're 30 and a half years now here at Preston Crest, but I've been working here. I just yeah. got to finish my 23rd year of working here. That's great. So what would you tell yourself 30 years ago about leading worship? I mean, how has it changed in the last 30 years? Wow. How has it changed? 
Well, let me <laughs> let me first answer, I guess, uh, what would I tell myself? I would say don't push or uh, don't try to fabricate. Just worship and uh, to drink deeply from the word of the Lord and uh, surround yourself with godly people, godly things, godly music and uh, things that just just point you to Jesus. Um I would something that has uh, well this is this just along with with my personal views of worship some of the most meaningful times of worship for me have have not involved music or singing at all it's just me and the lord it could be me out uh in the mountains of Colorado it could be out in the scrub in San Saba, Texas, uh, sitting on a front porch. But, uh, yeah, it's not a, not a worship service when it's just you and God, it's just worship. Hmm. So I would like to have, to have been able to pass that on to my 16 year old self when he was first asked to lead singing at the Brentwood Oaks church of Christ. Powerful words. And that was a pretty big place for you to lead singing as a 16-year-old Brentwood Oaks, right? <laughs> yeah. Five or 600, I guess, <laughs> yeah. that Sunday morning. I got laughed at because I <laughs> made some fun mistakes back oh, in did the day. You? Oh, yeah. Were you nervous? Yes, I was. But I could tell you exactly what I wore that Sunday. <laughs> well, tell everyone. Crazy. I mean, I, okay, I had uh, a blue, a navy blue blazer, red tie, white shirt. And uh, not khaki pants, but gray slacks. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that what you were wearing this last Sunday? Maybe. <laughs> Was it they the were same? a little tighter. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't the same blazer? Yeah, not the same blazer. Oh, goodness. Well, that's a fascinating story. A vivid memory. Vivid memory. Leading that first time. Yes, petrified. Uh-huh. Petrified. Yeah. I started leading singing, I guess, when I was a teenager and- I had three or four songs that I could comfortably lead. And I remember the first time uh, someone asked me to lead a song I never led before, and I thought that was the most terrifying experience oh, I'd man. ever have. I was leading praise. I'll never forget it. I was leading praise the Lord. You know, ye heavens, I adore uh -huh. him. And then it finishes with the, with the hallelujah, amen. Uh -huh. And then I had to come back around and start the second verse. And so I'm still kind of up here finishing the chorus in my mind, and I have to come around. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so I do that big old scoop and I hear, you know, girls in the youth group laughing at me. And of course, I am just beat red. Uh -huh. Red is my tie. Red right, is your tie. That morning, this 16 year old kid. Yeah. So do you still get nervous? I do every Sunday. Yeah. I do. My hands are cold. My mm -hmm. wife grabs my hands in church and she. She is always amazed at how cold my hands are. Uh, yeah, people say the same thing about mine when I get done preaching. And for people listening, and I'm sure it's the same way for you, when people ask me, are you nervous? It's not a it's not a fear, like I'm scared. It's a incredibly excited and anxious that of what we're about to get to do. And a respect. And a respect for the occasion. Yes. Yeah. Because I know that we're about to do something awesome. Mm -hmm. before an awesome God. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always want to have that edge. I hope that I never lose that. Right, right. 
yeah, it's not nervous like I'm about to get on a roller coaster or get a shot at the doctor. It's this is a this is truly a life changing experience for someone in this room. Yeah, yeah, and you you get the uh, tremendous blessing to be a part of it. Sure do. It is. I really enjoy my job. I love what I do here. I love anytime I go somewhere else to lead. I just I love worshiping and I love leading people in worship. But I really. I really enjoy being in the midst of people that love the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, well, you do a wonderful job. Thank you. And we are blessed to have you here at Preston Crest. John Scott, we're glad that you could join us today uh, for this discussion on worship. Appreciate you so much for what you do for the kingdom. And thank you to those who are listening today. Uh, we want to remind you at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready to navigate the journeys of life. And as always, keep your eyes on heaven, and I look forward to talking to you next time.